Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Our national government is being urged to conduct major security review to deal with China, Russia, and the rise of right-wing extremism. In a new report released this week titled A National Security Strategy for the 2020s, the authors make the case that Canada is not ready to face this new world. And as a country, we urgently need to rethink national security. The authors, some of whom have had access to Canada's most prized secrets and briefed cabinet on emerging threats, says Canada has become complacent in its national security strategies and is not prepared to tackle threats like Russian and Chinese espionage, the democratic backsliding in the United States. Uh, The report recommends a far-ranging national security review to examine the rise of the far right in Canada and the U.S. Uh, It also focused on a rise in cyber attacks and and climate change. Uh, It also talked about uh, Canada needing to crack down on university research, which uh, is done in collaboration uh, with China. Uh, It is truly sober reading and quite frustrating, I think, for for Canadians when they see how much work is before us. One of the co-authors of the report is Vincent Rigby. Mr. Rigby is the former National Security and Intelligence Advisor to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Mr. Rigby, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Uh, I I was reading uh, the report um, that you were a part of, and uh, it is sober reading. And I guess the first question uh, from myself would be, uh, I didn't get angry, but I I, I was quite um, uh, challenged uh, by where our country is today. Why have we gotten here? Like, why are we so complacent? Well, that's the word that we use in the document, and it's a word that we consciously chose because I think it's a, it's appropriate, and, and it is a certain complacency within Canada when it comes to security issues. And you know, we're not focused on the present government; we're focused on governments back through the decades that uh, have sort of stood by and waited, in many cases, for threats to develop and waited until the last moment to respond to these threats. Sometimes after the fact. Other times, um, you know, right beside a superpower like the United States, a great power, and we've been quite happy to sit under their umbrella and get uh, get protection that way. So I, I think it's a, it's a combination of factors, those, those two. The fact we've never had a huge, huge terrorist attack or military aggression against Canada, there's this sense that, uh, in the words of a famous historian many years ago, that we're a peaceable kingdom and that uh, bad things don't necessarily happen to us. I think with the the case of Ukraine right now, I know that the country's been galvanized, and and in particular our diaspora community of Ukrainians, uh, people are very, very concerned. But for a lot of Canadians, they still sense that's happening quite a ways over there. And and sure, it has an impact on the global environment, but maybe not a direct impact on us. And so what we're arguing is it's it's time to wake up and get out of that that sense of of complacency and that uh, we can can sit back and – and wait for things to happen. We've got to get ahead of the power curve. We've got to be more proactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, many recommendations here. Let's start with the one where the report recommends a far-ranging national security review to examine the rise of the far right in Canada in the United States. In many ways, what's happening in the United States uh, has um, really, uh, you know, for those in, in Canada here, uh, they're inspired by what they're seeing, according to the report. Um, how do we deal with the rise of the far right, as you say? Well, this is a disturbing trend, and it's, it's in the United States. It's happening in other countries. It's, it's not unique to the United States. It's not unique to Canada. Um, we've, we've seen this issue, I think, really sort of come
coming together over 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 a number of years, and we've we've moved from a focus on what we call religiously motivated violent extremism, Al Qaeda and ISIS, to ideologically motivated or politically motivated violent extremism. So the groups that you hear about in the United States, but that also have an impact here in Canada, like the Proud Boys, et cetera, the base, um, we actually listed the Proud Boys as a terrorist entity under the criminal code um, last, last year. I was still National Security Advisor at the, at the time. So, uh, I mean, this, this takes a whole of, whole of government, whole of, whole of Canada response. I mean, it's not, it's not just the, the security agencies. I think it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, trying to address the, the, the issues that are, that are out there um, socially, economically, um, broadening the dialogue, and 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 trying to 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 really confront this issue um, in in a very in a very transparent way. I think at the moment uh, there's a little bit of this is happening down in the United States. It's it's not necessarily something that's that's happening in Canada, but you know more and more, the director of CSIS, for example, David Vigneault, is, is speaking quite openly about this as a as, as an issue. We we saw it during the Freedom Convoy and the blockades earlier this year in Coots and, and in Windsor, where we saw right-wing extremist groups involved talking to right-wing extremist groups in the U.S. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a concern. So, um, you know, how do, we, how do we respond to it? As I say, it's, it's not just the security agencies, but I think they, they do need to, to take the lead. Um, in the U.S., they've, they've actually got the strategy to address um, right-wing um, extremism, and so uh, we don't make that explicit recommendation in the report. But I wouldn't be averse to having a strategy like that, and and uh, developing some tools underneath that, that that strategy to to take on this issue. Now, one of the um, incredibly concerning uh, terms used in the report was the democratic backsliding in the United States. How does a country like Canada protect itself from? Uh, what is happening in the United States, one would argue that it is a self-inflicted wound. Whatever the reason, we're still living next to this economic uh, and cultural giant. How does one like country like Canada protect itself, uh, not just from the far-right extremism, but a democratic, uh, a democratically backsliding United States? Well, and, and this is interesting because this has really been picked up, I think, um, by by the media and other commentaries um, that we, we've seen that uh, it, it's, a, it's a paragraph or two in, in the report. And I remember when we were drafting it and we, we used that term, democratic backsliding in the mm-hmm. U.S., and that the U.S. could be a source of, of instability and, and could be a potential threat to Canada at some point. I, 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 I joked to my, my co-author and, and uh, our advisory board, that will probably become the headline, and sure enough, <laughs> a lot of people have picked up on it. Um, but it's a, it is an important point. It's why we included it, even if it's only a, a short reference. It, it's important. And we're certainly not saying that um, the United States is in a downward spiral and that it's a threat to us explicitly right this very moment and that there's a potential for a huge spillover in terms of violent extremism and that uh, the U.S. will be in the throes of civil war in the next six months and it's going to bring us down. We don't, we don't say that in the report and we don't suggest that we should distance ourselves from the United States or that we need to change our policy. They're our closest ally, our closest defense, economic, security relationship. Um, we're simply saying that there are clearly trends in the U.S. Um, much, much more polarized and radicalized political dialogue and you know just just in the last couple of weeks you, you've seen with these horrific attacks in, in in buffalo and in texas the debate over abortion 
uh, the debates over gun control uh, from those attacks. Um, it's just it's 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 constantly roiling, right? There's this thing going on, and so we're, we're saying that uh, these are trends that we're going to have to watch very very carefully in in, in Canada, mm-hmm. and that especially with the presidential election coming up, and if somebody like former President Trump becomes the president again, or or, or Trump himself becomes the president. Uh, who knows where it's going to go? And you, you see the dialogue in the U.S. where they're quite open amongst themselves. The, the, the term civil war is being bandied about. Uh, I don't think we're going to go into a civil war mode in the United States, but we don't know. And uh, if if things do get worse in the U.S., we have to be careful about the spillover effect in, in, in Canada. And, you know, there's an old catchphrase with respect to the Canada-U.S. relationship when when the United States sneezes, Canada gets a cold. <laughs> so, uh, if there's if there's a big sneeze south of the border, uh, we'll we'll have to be careful. And again, a lot of these extremist groups they talk to each other. They do talk to each other. And again, we saw it through the convoy. And, and and so, I can assure you these these conversations are, are are happening. There's a lot happening behind the scenes, and we we have to be careful. Let's uh, touch on some of the other uh, challenges that are before Canada. Uh, one of them is Russian and Chinese espionage. Um, uh, in many ways, I think China is probably the, the bigger threat, one assumes. How does one challenge and protect itself from China of today? Because there have been many questions uh, in regards to our trade, how we trade, uh, our, our research, our joint ventures together. How do we reset our relationship with China? Well, there's a reset of the relationship and trying to put it back onto sort of a more um, balanced level. But I think you also have to accept the fact that China does engage in hostile state activities, and that's not necessarily going to fundamentally change. And so it's a, it's a double-sided question, if I, can, if I can put it that way. And, and certainly, I think, in the, in the wake of the two Michaels case being, being resolved, the desire on the part of the government right now to to achieve um, a certain amount of stability um, with China, especially in terms of the trade relationship. It's, it's not a huge chunk of our trade. I think it's about 3 4%, but it's still an important element, and, and we want to try and, and get that back into a, into a good place. But, but the fact of the matter is um, China has been much, much more assertive internationally over the last number of years, engaging in, in things like, um, you know, sort of hostage-taking, um, other hostile state activities like, as you say, espionage, foreign interference, um, disinformation, you know, goes right, right down, right, right down the list. And so, um, you know, we, we need to respond to that. We need to, we need to defend against it. And, you know, we argue in the report that this is going to take a whole of Canada response. So it, it starts with the federal government as sort of the custodian of national, national security, but it also takes, um, the provinces, the territories, municipalities, universities, the private sector, because when hostile state actors like a China or Russia uh, conduct espionage or try to steal intellectual property, they're not necessarily aiming against the federal government. They're looking at our private sector. They're looking at our pharmaceutical companies. They're looking at our, our research institutions and universities and, and trying to, uh, to gain knowledge and to, and to gain technology. So, uh, we've got to share more information. We've got to sharpen the tools to to, to respond to, to to all of that. So, I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, we can try and cut the Canada-China relationship back on a more even keel, but we don't. I certainly would not suggest that that activity, those some of those um, very hostile state activities, are going to stop anytime soon. They will continue to happen, 
and we will have to continue to defend against them. Would Australia be a, a model for Canada, a country uh, similar in size, um, in governance, uh, reliant on the uh, Chinese market for its goods and services, its natural resources, but also a country that seems to have a much more of a firmer response to China, a country, some would argue, with a spine that has pushed back uh, on China on certain issues. Um, is that one we could learn from that relationship? I, I, I certainly think we can learn from Australia, but it's a it's a great question because I remember when I was in the bureaucracy and, and even now publicly in dialogue that I've had, it's 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 raised as a possible model, but it's controversial too, because a number of people will tell you that the that the Australians have overreacted, that they've been too harsh, that they have basically gone out of their way to poke the Chinese in the eye, and that because of that the Chinese have hit back twice as hard and that the Australians have made things worse for themselves. We also have to remember that Australia, uh, geographical proximity to, to China, they're in a, they're in a different neighborhood than, than we are. Do we have to react as strongly as the Australians? They've got a different security environment. You could, you could, re- you could make the argument that it's even in, in, you know, deteriorating faster than, than, than ours. Um, I've always liked some of the things the Australians have done. Um, I've often pointed to them as an example, not necessarily holistically in terms of their overall strategy, but there are some elements that I think we should, we should pay careful, careful attention to. Uh, for instance, they, they have an a, a arm interference coordinator, someone who, who, can, who can actually um, bring, back, bring together all the different elements within, within the Australian government to, to, to respond to, to, to foreign interference and to, and to make sure that they have a coherent response to foreign interference and disinformation um, activities and so uh, some of those uh, pieces I think are are worth looking at and in fact we have a couple of recommendations in the report uh, where we say uh, let's let's take a look at the at the Australian model so I guess my answer is um, holistically the Australian response um, I don't know if we have to be um, you know punching as hard as they are <laughs> if I can mm-hmm. put it that way but there are certain there are certain elements that uh, I think we would uh, be remiss if we didn't at least take them into consideration. My final question to you, and I think it's uh, uh, regarding a region that is near and dear to all Canadians, and that's the Arctic. Um, Russia's uh, built modern military bases uh, there. Uh, China has added a third heavy icebreaker to its fleet. Uh, and uh, the report is recommending the need uh, of a long-promised naval base on Baffin Island. Why have we been dithering on the north, around the Arctic, and having the presence. We, we believe ourselves we are a northern country, a northern nation, um, yet it seems other countries are beating us to our own punch, to our own backyard. This is something that I've commented on publicly a couple of times, and, and uh, I, I think you're, you're right. I think we've talked a very good game when it comes to the Arctic for many, many years. And again, I'm not pointing my finger at any specific government, but we've always called ourselves a, uh, you know, a northern Arctic nation, and we've talked... Uh, you know, very, very um, eloquently about our vision for, for the North and the role of Indigenous people in economic and social development and the protection of our sovereignty. Um, but the talk has not always translated into, into action. And so um, it's not just, uh, in terms of protecting our sovereignty, it's not just a military response. It is all those other things I mentioned as well in, in terms of economic infrastructure and social development, having a presence in, in, in the region. But we do, I think, have to get beyond great rhetoric and great strategies and great plans and actually do stuff. 
And so if you're going to have a strategy, um, you know, so much of this stuff is about providing the resources for it. So we had a, a, an interesting strategy that came out a couple of years ago from the government, the Arctic and Northern Policy Framework, I think it was called. Um, but let's see stuff come out of it. Let's make sure that it's fully resourced and, and stuff is done. And with respect to the Canadian military in particular, as you, as you say, the refueling station at Nana Civic, the Arctic offshore and patrol ships, I mean, they're, they're both behind schedule. Uh, we've, not, we've not got them all rolled out yet, and that's a perennial problem in the Canadian military with their procurement process, but we've, we've got to get moving. And, and my great fear is exactly as you said, that the Russians were already stepping up their game in the Arctic and, uh, you know, the construction of military bases, et cetera, and infrastructure. Others are looking to that region, including China. But in the wake of Ukraine and their assertiveness, Russia's assertiveness in Ukraine and in a new sort of implicit aggressiveness, aggressive, aggressivity in everything they do, um, are they going to turn to the Arctic and really, really um, sort of turn up, turn up the heat now? So, um, I think we got to we got to look really carefully at what we do there. There's been some encouraging signs uh, with respect to NORAD modernization, which we have to move on fast. But uh, I think that's going to be a bit of a bellwether, um, mm-hmm. sort of a canary in the coal mine for government action. Let's see how fast they move on NORAD modernization. I think the U.S. is is tapping its fingers on the table, patiently waiting, maybe not so patiently behind the scenes. Let's get moving on this. It's going to cost a lot of money on the Canadian side, but uh, we need to upgrade NORAD. And and uh, to to uh, you know deter and to defend against you know possible um, missile attacks, uh, whether coming over the the north or or you know with hypersonic missiles now they can come from virtually anywhere. But uh, I'm going to be I think another commentators will be looking very closely at what happens to, to NORAD modernization over the next uh, over the next little while and hopefully that will get that and that'll be a good sign I think that we're taking our 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 north a little bit more seriously. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.